0: Right, Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Ethos Celtics podcast. It's I, your host, Lucas Gaynor, here with my co-host, Patrick Lounsbury, after a 1-16, victory in Game 4 over the Milwaukee Bucks, bringing the series up to 2-2. Patrick, how are you doing today, and how are you feeling about the series, my guy? Oh, man. That was a huge win. Huge win, huge game from guys
1: like... Al Horford, Jason Tatum, uh, just kind of a weird game in general. You had um, Robert Williams get called out right before the game tipped off. You have Jalen Brown in foul trouble. You have Grant Williams in foul trouble. Just just looks like everything that possibly could go wrong in this game started to go wrong early on. And then I don't know, man. And you end up looking at the series, and it's 2-2. And we're going back to Boston. It's a three-game, you know, best out of three now with two games at, in Boston. I'm excited, man. I'm pumped. This is what we are hoping for. You know, if it comes down to it. This is why we got the home court advantage. And I'm excited to see the Celtics man bounce, bounce into, you know, hopefully taking a serious lead in game five.
0: Yeah. Game five will be huge. Like you said, weird game, but Pat, I don't think there's any place other than to start talking about game four then with Mr. Godfather, Al Horford. Um, I mean, just absolutely phenomenal. I'm not even going to say turn back the clock performance from Al because he's been so good this entire series, Um, averaging over 18 points a game on really, really good shooting splits. But he was phenomenal. Uh, Down the stretch, Pat, fourth quarter, six of six, 16 points in the fourth quarter alone. Okay. Not to mention one of those buckets being a massive dunk on, you know, the best player in the world, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So, Pat, I mean, what was it like watching? Because I had to watch the game, not live. You know, I worked during the game, so I watched the game when I got home. What was it like watching all that go down live from the Giannis meme mug to Al being like, okay, okay, i see you, to then just absolutely, you know, dunking right in his head?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the sequence was crazy, right? You have Al Horford just gets dunked on by Giannis, and Giannis is, like, barking at him. And Al Horford even said he didn't even know what he really said. He just didn't like the the way he he was, like, looking at him. And it flipped a switch on him. Al Horford then later on in the game gets Giannis back and dunks onto Giannis, gets a tactical because of it, and ultimately just takes over the whole entire fourth quarter. So it was just a crazy, crazy sequence by Al Horford, coming in clutch ever since he got dunked on. It was just like a different player.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was a phenomenal dunk by Giannis. But he made that mistake of getting in Al's grill, kind of mean-mugging him. And I just thought that the face that Al made was like uh, very indicative of his fourth quarter you know, performance because he was like, oh, I've got something for that. Listen, you might have dunked on me, but listen, I got defense, I got offense, I can do whatever you want me to, so... Amazing performance from Al Horford. Really, I would say, saved the series, and by saving the series, potentially saved, um, you know, the entire season. But, but, you know, we still got a lot to look forward to in the series, game six, but, you know, Pat, like you said, it was a weird game. You know, Al was definitely the big headliner, I would say. But Jason Tatum, you know, 30 points, 13 rebounds, five assists. Uh, You know, might have been one of the quieter 30-point – 13 rebound, five assist games I've ever seen. But down the stretch, Tatum was there getting buckets. Uh, you know, honestly, it was mostly him, Marcus, and Al down the stretch there in the fourth. So a great game from Tatum as well. Or I should say a statistically great game. I don't know if it was a great game by Jason's standards, truly. No, he still struggled
1: to, in the beginning of this one. His first shot in the first quarter was just way off. I uh, thought – he had a really clean look. A lot of times he was still getting good looks off the drop coverage at times. And he was just missing his target. It wasn't until kind of like later in the third and, and then in the fourth quarter, Jason kind of got out of that slump a little bit. Really, like the last six minutes of this game, Tatum was phenomenal. He even had a stretch where he had eight points straight. We just know Tatum has that ability to like just go on these heaters and – Seeing him get into some of that rhythm in this game is very, very optimistic for the next game because you're thinking, hey, he he finished the game four in a really good way. Maybe we can build on that and he's out of the slump a bit. So, gonna be looking at Jason Tatum as as well. Um, also, that first uh, quarter had Giannis ended up looking like he hit Jalen in the face one of those times. There's also some inner, you know changing things between Giannis and Jalen when I remember later on in the game, Jalen tried to dunk and didn't take lightly to the fact of Giannis even trying to get to him and foul him and almost throwing him off. So Jalen ended up pointing at him and let him know, Hey, that ain't cool. That ain't going to fly. And then Giannis tried to come over and, you know, apologize and put his hand behind his head. And you and he watch Jalen brush his hand right off of, uh, Right off of him, it's says, like, nah, man, we ain't cool like that. So the series getting a little bit more on the chippier side of things. I don't know if
0: that's something that you've also seen, Lucas. Oh, most definitely. But, you know, I love that because, you know, I think all these guys, you know, Giannis is a good guy, Jalen, like they're all great people. But inside the lines during the 48 minutes, you are enemies. You know, you are, you know, competing at the highest level. There are no friends. And I think we kind of saw that, you know, play out when Smart and Giannis took the tumble. Smart tried to help Giannis up. Giannis was kind of pulling Marcus down, wasn't getting up. Brushed, uh, brushed his head with his shoe. I'm not going to quite call it a kick. But, you know, Smart basically just waved him off and ran down the court and left. And uh, I think that, like you said, you know, we've been seeing the series get a lot chippier. And that's something I love in basketball as long as, they're you know, there's no incredibly dirty plays or anything like that that's not that's not okay but you know the physicality you know maybe a little bit of pushing and shoving after the whistle i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i uh, you know personally i like it and i think that probably favors the Celtics man the more physical they can be you know the better cuz you know they're a dominant defensive team as we've seen all year
1: yeah they they have been really good defensively as well um, Another thing that I wanted to point out was in that first quarter, Jason Tatum had the huge dunk on Lopez. I don't know why. Um, I almost forgot to mention that play, but, man, that, huge that dunk. dunk. Huge he, almost, he just posterized Brooke, and I just realized, like, nobody's really even talking about that dunk like at all. And it wasn't, like, just an easy dunk, but just didn't literally win it. That's when I thought he first was going to snap out of it, right? Like, I was like, oh, if that dunk gets him going, like, it's over. Like, this game's over already. But it did take him a little bit longer, so the game wasn't over until he kind of turned it on. But, man, was that dunk pretty crazy. I, I just thought um, Brook Lopez also had a crazy block on Tice. I don't know if you remember that earlier in the game. Tice got the drop-off pass. So it looked like he was going to go for a dunk, and Brooke Lopez met him up there and just absolutely stuffed him. Uh, I thought that was a crazy play as well. This game just kind of started out slow. Like in game three, a lot of times it was just a very low-scoring game all the way up going into half. You didn't know if either team was going to make it to 50 points. And it was the same type of feel in this one. And then the third quarter was like a replica as well, right? Like game three, they just didn't do great. Game three in this one didn't play great either. And it's just like, what's going on Like with this trend? Because in the regular season, the Celtics have been such a good third-quarter team. It just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, no, the first half was a slog. I mean, it was a lot of uh, a lot of fouls are being called, more of a defensive battle, a lot of shots being missed. And like you said, it's just so ad- uncharacteristic, you know, for the Celtics to have bad third quarters, but it's having back-to-back games. And uh, so the first half, honestly, yeah, there were some good plays, but it definitely felt like it was a slog. And the game really turned up in the fourth quarter. I mean, that is absolutely, you know, to nobody's surprise there. The game really turned on its head there in the fourth quarter. And I think it started, Pat, with, you know, I just want to bring this up. This might be the, you know, an underrated play in this game, but I think it's still incredibly clutch. And people don't think of the, of like the end of the third quarter as a clutch time. They only think about the end of the game, but that three pointer by Derek white to cut the lead from 10 to seven. You know after the bucks had went on their run to push the lead to double digits was a massive shot. Because say, for example, he misses that and the Bucks come down, they swing the ball around, get an open three. That's a six-point swing. Now in the fourth quarter, you've got to overcome a 13-point deficit instead of a seven-point deficit. And, you know, with the game being as close as it was really till you know, I would say the last few minutes of the game, you know, that could change a lot. So I think huge shot by Derek White. And also just shout out Derek White because, Pat, you were never really worried about the jumper. And we were never really worried about Derek White because of how smart of a player he was, he makes the read role, does the right things, makes the right reads. And in this game, he was two of three on three pointers. He only took three. He kept the ball moving. He was phenomenal on defense. Uh, you know, I believe you said that, you know, his matchups were 0 of 12, you know, when guarded by uh, Derek White in this game. So that was phenomenal. see. But Derek White, you know, those two of three threes, I love to see that low, low volume, high percentage, That's what I'm looking for from Derek White when it comes to the three ball.
1: Yeah, Derek White ended up having to play a lot of extended minutes due to Jalen Brown getting into some foul trouble earlier on. Ends up playing 34 total minutes in this one, more than Jalen Brown who had 32. 11 points, like we said, right there. Um, He also had four rebounds, three assists on four of six shooting from the field. Zero turnovers, which is huge. And then it was a plus 18. And then we talked about it, right? Like. Derek White with his ability to just, like, lock people up. He was he had held the opposing box in this game 0 for 12. Drew Holiday was 0 for 6 when guarded by him. 0 for 6 in over 60 possessions against Drew Holiday. So, I mean, that is the part right there. That is more crucial, like I've stated this whole time, than him finding his shot in the series. You hold Drew Holiday 0 for 6 when you're guarding him. Man, all right, cool. You can you can go zero for seven then. You're evening it out with him, and the Bucks are more reliant on Drew Holiday's offense than they are than the Celtics are with Derek White's offense. So who's really winning that matchup when that happens? You know. So those are the type of things that people don't really look like when they analyze uh, basketball when they're just watching the game. But Derek White' ability to defend and neutralize players like that is way more critical to those teams because they're a higher priority on the offensive production that they're looking for. And to watch the
0: Celtics kind of take that out with Derek White has been phenomenal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a terrific point, Pat, um, because if he can impact players, like you said, higher on the totem pole offensively for other teams, you know, that's a bigger deal because Derek White is very low on the offensive totem pole for the Celtics. So, you know, we're not really counting on him to do all that. However, Those 11 to 15 points that Derek White can score 10 to 15 points. Those are huge. Truly. You know, that just adds a different dynamic to the Celtics offense when they have another guy who can go get 15, 16 points, you know, and I think we'll see that more, uh, you know, the longer Derek White is a Boston Celtic, you know, we'll see him, you know, continue adjusting and, you know, becoming a more complete offensive player in our system. But, uh, you did mention that he played more minutes than Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown got in foul trouble. And, uh, you know, he had four fouls, and he may put him back in with about, I think it was with about five minutes left in the third, maybe four minutes. Eight, he
1: had four fouls at the 840
0: mark in the third quarter. Yeah, he, he took him out, and then I know he put him and back he in. I want to say, like it was, five minutes. Well, I, yeah. Maybe it was four minutes, not five minutes. But a couple minutes later, Drew Holiday makes a terrific defensive play, in my opinion, by taking that charge on Jalen Brown. I think it was a charge. It was very, very close, but I think he, you know, got himself there in time. You know, Drew Holiday is a phenomenal defender. So that's really why Jalen's minutes were diminished there, because he picked up five. But honestly, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I love Ime throwing him out there with four fouls. I know it didn't necessarily work out in this game, you know, as far as Jalen playing more, but you gotta trust your players. Just like when he didn't call that timeout for the Celtics game winner against the Nets, he trusted Jalen here, and I think Jalen got a little bit unlucky. It's not that he made a really bad play. It's said Drew Holiday made a terrific play. So I like that from Ime. you know, sticking with his guys, you know, even when they maybe have uh, maybe have four fouls in the third quarter. I, I like
1: that. Personally, I do. I'd love to see that. See, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm somebody that was, wasn't was a fan of the call, right? I wasn't a fan of the, the overturn. And the reason I wasn't a fan of the overturn is I – did I think it was a charge initially? Yeah. However, I think when looking at the replay, it's so close – that, you know, how they t- use the replay, they're like, it has to be really convincing in one way or the other. I, Drew Holiday was, was slightly moving. He was slightly moving. It was so close though, that it was like, he kind of had position. He kind of slightly was moving. In in situation where it's 50-50 like that, you're supposed to just stick with what was called on the floor most of the time. I didn't think that they, they were. And then you also are giving a guy, like a superstar on one of the teams now, five fouls, you know. So being a somebody refereeing is like, you just kind of prevented like a whole, you changed the whole shift of a game on a call that to me still was kind of like a little bit on like the not enough evidence to overturn. So, but the Celtics just have just proven that they can bounce back. Right. Uh, You look at this game. um, Officiating was kind of frustrating in the beginning on both sides. So it was just frustrating for the Celtics too, in general. And then you, Look at them getting down in foul trouble, getting down 10 points. They had so many outs in this game to just be like, you know what? The wheels are coming off. The wheels are coming off. But they stuck to it, man. They kept playing really hard, and they never went away. So in the fourth quarter, when things started to really click and they got extremely hot, and I mean extremely hot, that's when the Celtics were able to pull away and get a victory against a really tough Bucks team on the road.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The officiating is very frustrating overall in the series, I would say, probably for both teams. But I would say the Celtics probably got the worst end of the whistle. And, Pat, you know I hate to use that excuse or whatever or just even bring that up. But, you know, Giannis is a very difficult player to officiate, you know, just because of how big he is. I feel like, you know, same thing happens with LeBron where LeBron gets fouled all the time and they don't call it just because – I would say this is maybe a little bit younger LeBron – just because he was so strong. The guys would bounce off him, and, like, he would never get the whistle. Um, I feel like it's similar with Giannis, but except they refs go, like, way overboard and, like, give Giannis a lot of leeway. So it was good to see the Celtics kind of, you know, move past the officiating, not worry about it, and just play their game and end up getting the win down the stretch. And I still can't believe that fourth quarter, man. I mean – Smart, Horford, and Tatum just combined for just monster numbers there, you know, down the stretch. 15-17, yeah. 15-17 for what, 30-something points? 37 points, 4-4 from deep. Yeah, that's terrific. Smart was 4-5, Al was 6-6, six six, and Tatum was 5-6. And, uh, yeah, that was just absolutely awesome to see. I mean, Smart getting in there, getting his shots, Jason just doing what he does, making tough shots look like they're not tough at all. And then like we touched on at the top of the show, I'll just, like I said, I don't want to say turning back the clock, I'll channeling something different and, you know, just really dominating, you know, one of the best teams and one of the best players, you know, in the entire game, uh, you know, when it really mattered most. So those guys really individual performances really helped save the series and potentially our season.
1: Yeah. I think too, as well as, as, we talk about those guys stepping up in the fourth quarter. One of the big things that I wanted to talk about before we jump to it is I, I just want you to guess who you think accounted for the team-high percentage of matchup time on Giannis in Game 4. I mean, is
0: this is a trick question? I'm going to say Al. It's not Al Horford. Okay. Is it somebody I would not expect? Um, uh, Maybe. I'll
1: tell you this. This person was on Giannis 31.7% of the matchup time. Was he in foul trouble? He was not in foul trouble. And he was a big part of the fourth quarter scoring.
0: Oh, then it must have been. Well, for the entire game you're talking about, 31% of possessions. 31.7% of the matchup time that Giannis was Don't on Don't court me it was it, was, it, of, was it was it D-point or I got to say Jason Tatum here. It's it's actually Marcus Smart. Marcus that is Smart that had is five ridiculous.
1: minutes and 17 seconds of matchup time throughout this game, guarding Giannis, held Giannis to two of five from the field with only four points, three assists, two turnovers, and one block on him.
0: I cannot even believe that. I I watched the dang game. I, I, that's unbelievable. Smart was on him for more than anybody else. That is crazy. And more, than Al, guess, more than, than anything U.S. else, which
1: is, which is absolutely nuts. It's like I, I, and I, I'm not trying to even take anything away from Al as far as him guarding Giannis because he has been playing Giannis very well defensively. It's more so like it's hard to realize this, but Marcus Smart is literally flying around,
0: flying around. Yeah, that's unbelievable. I mean, listen, Smart is the DPOY, and anybody who disagrees, I'm sorry. You can go kick rocks. I'm well, you sorry. saw the quote, right, that Al Horford had on Marcus
1: Smart. He said, Marcus was unbelievable tonight, guarding Drew, guarding Giannis.
0: For me, he was the game changer. People aren't talking about him enough. That's true, honestly. I, I think so. I think, I'm, I think I'm guilty of doing exactly what Al was talking about. Like, Smart was phenomenal and you've just come to expect these level of performances from smart that it kind of does fly under the radar to the point, me not guessing that smart guarded him more possessions than anybody else. Like that's a perfect example of it right there. But smart is just, I mean, he's phenomenal in once again, Pat, I'm just going to say, I'm glad I never hopped off the Marcus smart train and I've been defending him, you know, for multiple years now. And I finally feel vindicated because you barely see anyone complaining about Marcus Smart, even though you know he still has haters out there.
1: You know, Marcus Smart haters are are very quiet these days. So I don't really have to worry about it. He's got the hardware. He's got everything there as far as that goes. So I'm not worried about that. But his impact has been immense, especially in this next game. Um, it's going to be very important. I want to see how healthy here he's going to be looking in game five as his you know, Bruce thigh contusion is continuously being a, an issue for him. He looked a lot more mobile in this game than he did the other game that he returned in game three. So game four, he looked a bit better. Hoping that uh, Marcus Smart's able to get even more healthy. And and we need him to guard Drew. So Drew's going to be very crucial. Um, keeping him offensively unsettling and not getting into a flow of things. Making it even harder on Giannis to – pretty much do most of the workload. And that's kind of what I wanted to touch on with you, uh, Lucas, was a trend that I'm noticing with this Celtics team is they did the same thing in the Brooklyn series, but it just seems like they just wear out teams, physically wear out teams until they can – and then they just take off in the fourth quarter. And there's no reason why we don't look at these games like, wow, the Celtics just pulling away in the fourth quarter, away in the fourth quarter. This team is seasoned for that. This team is built for it. They're all in for the long run. They're in for the grind and, and physicality of the game. And I don't know if this or other teams are as in in shape as they think for that type of grind. And the Celtics are just going to test them. And I think you're seeing later on in games Giannis like, is looking exhausted because of the workload he's had to put in through three quarters. And the Celtics continuously wearing them down. It just seems to be much of a strategy for the Celtics to wear out teams throughout a game. That's that's what I've come to the conclusion and consensus is watching, but I want to know what you thought, Lucas.
0: Oh, 100%, Pat. You know, the Celtics, I mean, we saw it like nothing else in the Brooklyn series. Like KD, you know, was just, I don't want to say getting bullied, but he was definitely worn down by the end of the game. Giannis looking the same way, you know, maybe settling for some jumpers, you know, settling, you know, for some tougher shots there, you know, I, I, I'm i not going to say that Giannis like really looked that exhausted to me, at least uh, upon first glance in the game, but we definitely are still wearing teams down, and I do think the Celtics are built for, you know, that long grind there, um, you know, with just, I feel like they're a very well-conditioned team, and you know, just what they do, man. Physicality. I mean, we saw with how they played KD, like I said. We see it with how they're playing Giannis right now um, and even Drew Holiday. So 100%, I'm with you there. I think the Celtics are cut out for that, that type of grind game. And uh, I think they're, you know, very proficient at wearing guys down, uh, you know, within the rules. It's not like they're just going, you know, bad boy Pistons on them to wear them down, but they're actually playing good, sound team defense um, individually and, you know, you know, as far as like team constructs, you know, making the right rotations and everything, but as well as on the ball.
1: Yeah. Do you, do you think that this, uh, do you think that the Celtics team is able just like, what do you think, when do you think this change point was for them to just kind of get over that hump in the later half of games? Because remember earlier in the year, they just never had that ability. And even they kind of struggled with it sometimes in closer games, even when they were playing really well, they were kind of slipping away. All of a sudden, though, in the playoffs, they just became, like, this fourth-quarter closing team when it's, like, a close game. Majority the times, so they're able to just, like, shut it down. So, I, I don't know what has yeah, I
0: don't know when either. I'm not sure when, but I love that it happened. <laughs>
1: I think we both are in love that it right. happened. Um. And nothing much more for me to touch on this game. Did you kind of want to go into the keys for game five?
0: Yeah, yeah, we can definitely move on to game five. I mean, what would you say? A little
1: little trivia first, though, before we hop into game five. Oh, let's go. I need to make up for that
0: terrible trivia answer I have. All right.
1: All right. All right, this is um, Jason Tatum had 30 points, and Al Horford had 30 points, and are the first pair of Celtics teammates to each record 30-plus points in the same playoff game since which duo and what
0: year? Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask for a couple of hints here. Is it in the 21st century?
1: <laughs> yes. <it's, laughs> yes, it is. Okay.
0: Uh, so I have, I have a few guesses here. So my first guess, I'm going to go with Paul Pierce and Ray Allen.
1: That's the duo. So we're correct on the duo. Can we name the year? Two thousand nine. Not quite. I'll, I'll let you I'll let you also pick the team so you can maybe get one of these right.
0: Uh, you know the first name the first team the PubMed head was the Knicks. The Knicks are the correct
1: answer. No. <laughs> Knicks
0: okay. are the correct answer. So then that that was what, twenty ten or twenty eleven? 2011. It would be a yeah. 2011. So I'm going to give myself three for three on that one.
1: Okay. I'm giving you three for three on it too, man. I was letting it <laughs> stick around there. I didn't give you any of the answers. Yes, it was Paul it was. Pierce who had 38 points. Ray Allen had 32 against the Knicks on April 22nd. Oh, man. Yes, that was sir. The last I, I would have thought it would have been Jalen and Jason to to do 30 and 30, but they still haven't scored thirty and thirty in the playoffs together.
0: Just oh yet. my you know my backup guess was uh my backup guess was gonna be Twan and uh Tuan and Piercing because I don't think KG and uh and Pierce ever did it. So that was the only other guess I had, so I'm glad that it was that game against the Knicks that I was thinking of. So that's awesome. <laughs> I redeemed myself I think a little bit, but well okay, Pat. I don't have any trivia for you, but can you tell me what your three big keys for game five are here? You know because this is pivotal, and like you said, I think you said this, you know, pre-show to me, uh, the team that wins Game Five, you know, has, has a high percentage chance. Eighty-three
1: percent chance. Eighty-three wins percent the
0: chance. So when it's tied two, obviously two, a yep. huge game. We have a chance to, you know, get one up on the Bucks because I don't want to go back to Milwaukee in a do-or-die situation. So this is a big game, Pat. What are your three big keys?
1: My first key is going to be – it's going to sound like a broken record, but we're going to go back to one of the keys for this win that we had. It was limit the turnovers and transition game of the Bucks. The ability to do that is just incredible. And you just keep the Bucks in the half court, and this Celtics defense becomes damn near hard to beat any night against any team. So stop. Stop yourself from getting those turnovers and allowing the transition game to mess with you. Also, even on misses and, and like makes, the Celtics gotta get back. Just get set back on defense. My second key to this game is gonna be foul trouble. We gotta stay out of foul trouble and have the bodies readily available. And, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum had two fouls in that first quarter. We gotta we gotta be careful with that, Jalen Brown. You know, ended up being foul trouble almost all game. Had to sit a majority of the chunk of time. We cannot afford to do that. And three, it's just take care of home court. You know, at the end of the day, it's a three-game series left. You got two games at home. Take care of home court. You, It's cool if this goes seven games. I'm fine with that. Just don't lose another game at home. Keep um, your, your foot on the gas pedal and make sure that we take this – momentum and build on into game five and try
0: to take a victory yeah you know i don't want to sound like a broken record either but i would say that limiting transition is definitely one of my big keys you know the bucks kind of thrive when they're out and they're able to get out in transition they get some open threes to their shooters guys like wesley matthews grayson allen george hill you know even bobby portis so i'm right there with you on that 100 we got to protect home court you know, I think that's probably the way we win the series if we protect home court uh, at this point because you can't really lose a home game five and expect to go to Milwaukee and you know just get an easy victory. That would be a really long road back winning that Milwaukee, and then you have to go up a game, a game seven against former MVP and the reigning finals MVP. But I would say my keys are, um, personally, if I had to pick some different ones, limit offensive rebounds, get some offensive rebounds yourself. Um, you know, I would have said stay out of foul trouble, but you took that one from me as well. Um, and then I would say make your open threes. I think that's a that's a huge key that kinda, you know, people forget about because it seems like such an easy one. You know, oh you gotta make your shots. Well, Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams did not shoot well at all last game, and I think that stuck out for why the Celtics maybe offense did not look that good until, you know, Marcus, Jason, and Al decided to put the entire team on the back and carries down the stretch. So guys like Peyton grant and uh, even i'll throw uh i'll throw tyson there too you know just if Tyson's seeing the court at all which hopefully he doesn't with robert williams no offense but i'd rather rob out there but if tyson's out there you know he's got to provide some value on the offensive end and that's pretty much going to be by stretching the floor so if him Derek white payton and grant can make their threes i think that's going to go a long way to helping open up the offense for jason and jalen and uh Key number 3 Al dunk on Giannis again for me, please. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: I, I love the list. I love the list, honestly. I, I think this team, I'm just really confident in the direction we are right now. I don't know what it is, but it feels like we have a grasp of some momentum and almost figured out some of the things the Bucks have tried to do. Um, notice that they try to go really big against us to start the series. You know Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez and Giannis and it, it just didn't work out for them. Now they're trying to go small. I love what Jason Tatum is doing attacking uh, George Hill whenever he gets on the court. Also Grayson Allen's not getting a pass from anybody. And Marcus Smart last game also getting into some bully ball action and, and getting into the post work. I'm looking for the Celtics to take advantage of the Bucks when they do go small. If they end up going small again, try to attack, bully your way into the paint, be efficient there, make sure you get some easy buckets. And if they want to go back to the big ball, then that's when you go back to game two of what was really a success and, and you let them do the drop coverage and you hit those mid-range to pull them out. And then you just start swinging the ball and you'll eventually get those good looks in the corner and end up in a very pretty good position to win. So hoping that the Celtics stick with the game plan here. Eme has been great with adjustments lately. Uh, every time the Celtics lose, you always see them make a slight adjustment on the next game, and then they just don't lose. So hoping that Eme now is able to pull together a couple wins in a row and, and really try to put some pressure on the Milwaukee Bucks in this series.
0: 100%, Pat. I think that pretty much does it for me. Um I echo that shout out to everybody who shows up on the Spotify live side of things, everybody who listens non-live, um, you know, on Apple podcasts, Spotify, SportsEthos.com, Um, all that we really appreciate everybody listening. If you can rate review, subscribe, whatever you can do to help grow the show. We really appreciate it. Appreciate all our listeners. Cause you know, you help make the show. So appreciate every single one of you.
1: Yeah, make sure you guys head over to Twitter. Uh, Follow Lucas at Luca underscore Gainer. You can also follow me at Ballin Opinions. You can also follow the show at Ethos Celtics. Make sure you guys head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us that five-star rating and review. Also, make sure that you guys are headed over to Spotify and giving us that five-star rating now on their podcast options after you've listened to one show. We do appreciate all the love and support. We're really excited to get over to Game 5. Let's go Celtics, man. Let's get that win. Let's go up three two and put some pressure on the Bucks.
0: Yes, sir. Celtics and six. Bye. Peace.